Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and all, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. So what is astonishing you? Well, at Derida Church, we believe that uh, worship is um, an encounter with God. Uh, we believe that we are there uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit to celebrate uh, to rejoice, to give thanks for God's grace and salvation in Jesus. We, we also believe that worship um, is done in the context of other people. And so uh, the fact that other people show up is important to us, right? That we do this in community. Uh, however, we worship in a space that just swallows us up. I think it seats like 350 people. That's we average, sanctuary. it's a big sanctuary with a high ceiling, ceiling, and um, we average around 60 or so, and people spread out. And so as much as we love one another and love the ministry, worship can often feel very uh, disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, as hard as we work to engage people, the space can be unhelpful. And so I'm astonished by our elders once again making a, a bold and cura- courageous decision. Uh, we have moved worship uh, into the fellowship hall uh, for the month of August, and the fellowship hall seats 100 people. So we have this intimate space and it made such a difference on Sunday. Worship was warm and engaging. And um, I mean, people felt it. I mean, the, the clear mm-hmm. difference. And so just so grateful uh, for the work of our elders. And uh, we've been uh, meditating on a couple of scriptures. We're, we're calling this month, Get Close and Get Connected. So there's that scripture that says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And then there's that place in the Psalms uh, that says, uh, you know, how beautiful it is when kindred dwell in mm-hmm. unity. And mm-hmm. it says that unity among God's people is like um, the oily oil. oily beard? Yes, like an oily beard. <laughs> the presence, the anointing a of the metaphor, spirit. which <laughs> yeah. might be a little bit lost yeah, we, we in had translation. To un- we had to unpack that one a little bit. The well, anointing of the spirit. like an oily beard. <laughs> Um, but it also that psalm also goes on to say that uh, that unity is like do yeah right so it's life giving yeah. and at the end of that psalm which I love the King James it says that God commands God's blessing to go to the place of unity and so uh, we're we're just seeking to be very uh, intentional about drawing close to God and getting connected to one another in the first Sunday was fantastic. So uh, I'm just astonished by uh, the leadership of the elders of Derida Church. Yeah, that's such an interesting thing because it's just um, such a evocative choice. Mm. I mean, to leave the sanctuary um, is scary because I think for so many people it will feel like defeat, right? Loss, definitely. And Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, on the one hand, I'm... I'm always worried when churches 
make a choice to mask a problem instead of addressing mm, it. That's so good. like, oh, we don't have enough kids for a vacation Bible school. Well, let's pair up with another church. And then I want to say, well, if that allows you to have the illusion that, oh, now we have enough kids and there's not a problem, then that's problematic to me, as opposed to saying, like, here's a real thing. We don't, we do not have, our, our congregation doesn't have the reach into our neighborhood that we wanted to have. And so let's figure out what that's about or make space or whatever. So, so on the one hand, like I, you know, it's, it's a hard choice to leave the sanctuary in terms of what, you know, what does that mean? And does it mean we're just saying like, oh, it's okay that we are who we are. We'll just move to a smaller space. So it feels full, but I don't think that that's what's happening. I actually think that it's a twofold thing. One is to say the sanctuary in and of itself is not important, right? Like it's not like worship has to happen in that space in order to be authentic. And it is about saying, you know, we need to, we need to create true community here now so that we have true community to offer Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. our neighbors and to share. And so if you're holding on to the sanctuary because of what it represents, but it's actually no longer doing the thing that it was created to do, then it's not faithful to hold on to it. And so I I do think that that's really, but it's just, I mean, it's one of those decisions that I think has a great amount of holy risk to Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. that you know clearly why you all are doing it and what your purpose is. And at the end of the day, as with any decision that we make, you know, we can look back on it later and go, oh, that was the right choice or that was the wrong choice. But at the end of the day, I think we get to a place of um, faithfulness and freedom and ministry when we realize we can make a choice in line with our mission and in line with our values. And if it, in hindsight, turns out to be the, quote, wrong choice, we're not ashamed of that yeah. because we're not trying to be right. We're trying to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And the only way to learn what being faithful looks like sometimes is to discover what it doesn't look like, right? Well, yes, and to... Seek God's will, right? Mm-hmm. The work of discernment, and then take a step of faith. Mm-hmm. And God is gracious. If you step in the wrong direction, right. the Spirit is gracious to guide you in a new direction. Well, and I also think it's just brave because it's about the leaders of the church helping the people look at the truth of where they are right mm-hmm. now, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's beauty mm-hmm. in where we are right now, mm-hmm. and there's beauty and courage in saying, we need to take the first step based on where we are instead of based on where we think we should be mm-hmm, or, you mm-hmm. know. So I just think that that's a really beautiful and brave and risky choice. And I do think it's just a really great thing to marvel at just the wisdom and bravery and courage of the leaders of the congregation yeah. and saying, we're going to try this and see and see what it nets us. Um, I remember that, you know, years ago at the Grove, again, we're just ahead of you. Mm -hmm. I mean, but there was a time that our friend Robert Ostell came to visit um, in worship, and he came to me afterwards, and he was like, Kate, you really need to rope off some of your pews. And let me be clear, our congregation does not see 350. (laughs) But he was like, you know, you're all in the same room, but you're worshiping separately and it just feels very lonely. And he was saying like, even if you feel, and for us it was the same thing, like roping off pews felt like a defeat. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But he was like, you know, people need to be able to worship together Mm -hmm. because that, you know, is how 
we draw power and strength that we're not here alone. We're here together. And so anyway, I just been there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and who knows, we might be there again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But also what's really wonderful is, you know, the day that you can take those ropes down is a really great day. And the day that you, you know, I know you're doing this for August, so you'll be back. But like the day next year when you're like, oh, are we going to do this? in the fellowship hall and people say, Oh, well, we can't do that anymore. That's right. You know, so mm-hmm. I just think it's really brave to be able to say, well, this is where we are mm-hmm. and no blame, no shame. What, what do we need to do to be faithful and right and pleasing to God from this place and being honest? And about there's it? joy where mm-hmm. we are. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. No, there's glory in it. Yeah. yeah more than okay. There's yeah. glory in it. So what is astonishing you? I'm excited to <laughs> hear what is astonishing you because um, you didn't share anything on the walk about what's astonishing you. We sat down to record and um, wasn't sure that you um, had anything. So I am on the edge of my seat. <laughs> we sat to record and, you know, Yolanda shows up every week and he has like a list in his head. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about this. And then... We get back from the walk, and he's setting up the equipment, and I'm sitting on the other side of the table like, oh, I need to make some notes. Like, what am I going to talk about? I don't know. And um, I was pausing. I didn't know what to say, and he was getting impatient, and I was like, well, just start the thing, and we'll, I'll just say something. I don't know what I'll say. So, uh, I mean, in all honesty, as we were setting up, and I was opening up my computer and looking at some emails, and we had an email from um, our clerk of the presbytery saying that a colleague of ours, Mike Murdoch, had passed away really suddenly on Saturday. And so I um, am astonished and not in a good way about that. I I really liked Mike Murdoch and I really mostly knew him. um, I mean, we'd met at presbytery. He did not serve a church. I mean, he had in the past, but now was working as an engineer for Duke Energy, and I think um, in a lot of times, not always, but we, you know, we, we definitely ideologically were different, um, but I had a lot of appreciation for um, the way he loved the Lord and followed mm. the Lord, and, and I think that was mutual, and, um, and I am astonished he was not, he was a young man, um, and so, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful for his life, um, I'm grateful for the church that gave me an opportunity to know someone who I never, never would have mm. otherwise. And I'm grateful for this life that we shared of following Jesus that, you know, gave us a common relationship, um, an excuse to belong to each other. Um, and I guess it just makes me realize even more what I was already feeling. I'm just you know, astonished at the huge gift to be in another season of preparation for ministry and recognizing that, you know, God does not owe me anything and, or Mike, I think would be the first person to say, you know, um, that I'm, that we're not promised tomorrow, which is, you know, one of those cliches that you really resent until you come to a place of wisdom of seeing how true they are. Um, so I'm grateful for Mike's life. I'm grateful for the um, just the friendship and collegiality that he showed me um, consistently. Um, and I'm sorry um, that I won't have that fellowship with him. 
and just astonished at just the beautiful, precious mm. impermanence of life and um, really sad for his passing and trying to be grateful for the reminder of just the privilege that it is to have another season to do ministry. Mm. So wow. that is what I'm astonished at, actually. Wow, so. that's pretty fantastic. Mm. Wow, um, wow. Thanks yeah, for saying all that. Yeah. yeah. So what are you thinking about? I am thinking about an article uh, that was in my email inbox yesterday. It's entitled Seven Surprising Varna Trends. Seven Surprising Varna Trends Will Make You a Stronger Pastor. Uh, and for those who are not familiar with the Barna Research Group, uh, again, a it's, weird thing. <laughs> it, it's a research group that focuses primarily on trends, um, church trends in North America. So I here's what I think is weird about Barna. Mm-hmm. I I don't understand how they stay in business. Like, how do they make their money? Like, I cannot. Good question. I don't know. Okay. I mean, anyway. But carry on. Barna, teach me, Barna. How can I be a better pastor? It says, here are seven insights drawn from the data that will help you be a more successful church leader. Um, And it's the first three that got my attention. Mm-hmm. Number one. It's the word successful that gets my attention. Well, <laughs> Carry on, warrior. But, but it's interesting. This is interesting. One, pastors, I'm curious to see if you're surprised by this. Pastors have higher life satisfaction than most people. I mean, I'm not surprised. That's my experience. It's my experience, yeah. but I would not have guessed that about others. You know, I do wonder if, I mean, people can and should be able to um, articulate Mm -hmm. their seasons of hardship Mm -hmm. and pain um, and find, you know, love and compassion within the body of Christ for that. And so I feel like that message gets spoken a lot and should. I'm not mad at it. But I also feel like pastors who are, you know, it's awkward for me if I'm around someone who's talking about how hard it is and I'm like, well, dang it, I just love my life and my church and yes, the Grove is my, yes, I mean, you know, yes. I, we've talked about this before that I had lots of Grove stories to tell in the seasons when it was really, really hard. Like I just needed to show up places and be like, this went wrong and then that went wrong and then those people said that and can you believe? And now that, um, and it's one ways that I'm grateful for the discipline of doing the what is astonishing you thing it's harder to walk into the room and share the stories of good things that are happening at the grove because it sounds like you're bragging which i mean i'm not believe me i understand that it's coming from a place of joy it's coming from a place of joy but it just can feel pretty tone deaf right well here's what uh this piece says about pastors having higher life satisfaction than most It says nine in 10 pastors are satisfied with their quality of life. Pastors rate their emotional health and spiritual health higher than the general U.S. population does. 96% of married pastors are satisfied with their relationships with their spouses. 97% rate their relationships with their children as excellent or good. Then it says, in the midst of ministry challenges and trials, pastors have personal satisfaction and strength that is higher than among the general U.S. population. 
I think it's fantastic. I, th- I mean, I definitely think that's the way it should be. I and I mean, it makes sense to me when you are privileged. I mean, sometimes people say to me things like, "Oh, I just feel bad for you because mm-hmm. every time anything goes wrong for anyone, they call you." And like, well, I mean, a I feel very honored by being invited into people's lives in a moment like that, mm-hmm. but. I mean, and this is awkward to say, but I mean, you can't walk around feeling like woe is me because they didn't have any Cheerios at the grocery store when your context is, you know, I just visited someone's daughter in the hospital, right? Like I can't take mm-hmm. for granted when I walk home and my, I mean, it does help you put context on your life because you just know that people you love and people that God loves are going through really hard seasons. Absolutely. And it just makes me really aware, like, my hard seasons will come. Mm -hmm. So I'm not immune, and I know I'm not immune. But it also just makes me realize I'm allowed to be grateful Mm. that tragedy isn't striking my house right now. Well, here's the second trend. Inadequacy, exhaustion, and depression harass pastors. Mm -hmm. Pastors are more likely to have feelings of inadequacy in their work, 57% versus 30% of employed U.S. adults. Pastors are more likely to feel mental or emotional exhaustion. Get this, 75% of us versus 55% of the general population. Nearly half of pastors have struggled with depression. 47% struggle finding time to invest in their spiritual health. Then uh, this piece says, but wait. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, there's more. How does high life satisfaction go together with feelings of inadequacy and exhaustion? How can pastors have higher life satisfaction and higher job stress? Maybe the answer is Jesus. We love serving Jesus and spending our lives for him, but ministry has big challenges that we can't fix in our own strength. Let the church say amen. Mm -hmm. So it's a both and. Life is satisfying and life is difficult. Yeah. And and we experience that. Yeah, I think so. And I, I was telling you that Greg Boyle, who I love who really is one of my icons in ministry who wrote tattoos on the heart and barking to the choir and if people don't know who he is you should stop what you're doing right now Mm. and go get his books because I think the way he thinks about ministry and his own personal transformation and then what anyway I, I just really he's a teacher for me and he was in town last night and I didn't go but it's on Facebook Live, so people mm-hmm. could find it. Um, but somebody asked him a question about burnout and in ministry, and he said, "If you are experiencing, you know, depression and despair in your ministry, then your ministry is about you yeah, and not so Jesus." Good. And I think, so I mean, good. that's so true and profound. Not that, just for ministry, but life. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and just to be able to say, you know, it's funny because I was talking to somebody last week who was struggling with depression. And sort of saying, like, why is this happening to me? And and I just said, you know, you you are made to need God. Mm, like you we're supposed good. to be vulnerable that's to God. Good. And he said back to me, I've never heard that before. Like I've never thought about that before. That's really encouraging to me. And I realized, I mean, as we were saying earlier, like that's just how much the consumer, you know, yes. success culture has infiltrated the gospel that people feel like, oh, I can be all things in mm-hmm. Jesus and I'm more than a conqueror. And so then when life is hard, 
it's not only carrying the burden of the fact that life is hard, but it's also carrying a burden of like guilt and shame and feeling like I can't talk about this because I must be doing it wrong if life is hard. And so, yeah, I'm, but I thought it was crystallizing for me when I look at times when I'm most overwhelmed or tempted to burn out in ministry. It's because I'm upset with myself because I can't be Jesus for other people. Yeah. Like, and, and being in a community and wanting to be in a community where people are welcome with real needs, which what, who doesn't have real needs, but, but needs that are visible in a way that even the culture would say, mm-hmm. this is a mm-hmm. real need, mm-hmm. right? So if you show up as a wealthy, successful person, you have real spiritual needs, yes. but the culture doesn't see that. So yes. it's like it doesn't count, right? But if you show up and you are a refugee or you are homeless or you are an addict, the culture is like, oh, now that's a you problem. Have needs. Like yes. you need Jesus, right? Yeah. And so being a community where you want to welcome people in and you, you want to, you know, create space for Jesus to show up in their lives. And obviously it's not that it doesn't matter that the person doesn't have a home or a job or, you know, legal immigration status, but I can't fix that. Mm -hmm. And so I get to a place of burnout when I feel like, oh, this person has a real need and I can't solve it. But I can come to a place of peace of saying like, but I'm not Jesus. I'm just not Jesus. So all I have to offer is the fellowship of the spiritual community. Mm-hmm. And all I have to offer is welcome in this community. And mm-hmm. all I have to, to say is I'm willing to be in this uncomfortable space of all of us wrestling with, is Jesus calling someone in this community to meet this need? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I just, if I keep, if I can keep accepting that I am not the savior and I am not the fixer mm. without coming to a place of, you know, your problem isn't my problem and your pain isn't my pain and this doesn't matter to me and it's your fault that you're hurting. You know, just yeah. living in that tension all the time and accepting it. I mean, there's no burnout. I mean, there can be lots of, you know, love mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. weeping with people who are weeping, mm-hmm. but there's not burnout because I already knew I wasn't Jesus. Yes. And yes. there's a great essay by um, Gordon Atkinson who used to write an anonymous blog called reallivepreacher.com, which mm. I have always loved. And he wrote uh, like a series, I think, of three blog posts called You're Not Jesus Preacher. <laughs> and I know I've talked about him before. You can find him online. But basically he talks about like the pastors who end up burning out are the pastors who believe they're Jesus. And you're like, what? No pastor thinks that. But it's the pastors who are like, oh, so-and-so needs a job, and I can't remember that lady's name. And can't, I mean, you know, that just, you just want to be Jesus for your church, and you come to your limit. And if you just can't accept that, like, yeah, I'm just a schmuck, right? Yeah, like, yeah. this is who I am. A, I'm a jar of clay. Mm-hmm. And, and so people are going to come to me and find me hypocritical they're going to find me not able to meet their needs they're going to find me whatever and i have to be able to accept that sometimes the lord can do miraculous things in people's lives through my life that i'm offering to god and sometimes god does not and i'm not god and i can rest in that so i'm not failing at not being jesus because that's not the exam that i was made to take well, that takes us to the third of the seven <laughs> trends, but this is the last one I want to talk oh, about. I'm sorry. This... this is the last one. Um, number three, personal spiritual disciplines are yeah. central 
to ministry satisfaction and perseverance. Let's get mm-hmm. at what you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. It says pastors who practice their top spiritual discipline, usually prayer, every day or more, are also very satisfied with their vocation, 75%, uh, and their current ministry. And they rate low on spiritual... They rate um, low on, on risk for burnout. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I love this paragraph. Um, It says, your personal spiritual habits make all the difference in your ministry strength. But you knew that, right? The people who discipled you have been telling you that for years. You say the same thing to the people you disciple. We talk about spiritual disciplines all the time. But your strength comes in actually (laughs) sitting down and spending time alone with Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's getting to the point, right, saying we actually have to engage in these spiritual disciplines in order to sustain both the satisfaction in ministry and to endure the hardship, the stress that comes with ministry. Right. It is the spiritual discipline, spending time with Jesus, that enables us to walk that long way um, and I think for a lifetime. Like the enemy, I mean the the trap is in feeling like, well, that's right for other people but not for me. Yeah. Like I you know, because I'm preaching a sermon, I don't need to pray or I don't yeah. have time yeah. to pray yeah. or yeah. I you know yeah. that or I should and this is a trap for me all the time. Like, well the people in my congregation have to go and work their forty hour a week job and they don't get to stop and pray. So I need to you know, bust through this to-do list, this holy to-do list every time, and then save my, you know, prayer and discipline for other times. And I just, there's all kinds of traps into getting you thinking that this doesn't apply Mm -hmm. to you or that somehow, I mean, it, it is funny for a long time, I really was stuck in the trap of like, it was unfaithful for me to pray personally when I was working because nobody else got to do that when they were a lawyer or a teacher or whatever. And then it was one day like a bolt of lightning hit me. And I was like, how in the world did I ever get convinced as a pastor that it was unfaithful for me to pray and meditate while I was at work? But I mean, it's just that the outer culture. It's part of professional culture. Great. And productivity idol, right? So yeah. 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 And wanting to say this ministry happened because I busted my butt and made it happen as opposed to this ministry happened because the Holy Spirit showed up. And we, yeah. So I, no, I get it. One of my really helpful disciplines is Monday is prayer and read scripture day, not read scripture for preparing for sermon or Bible study. It's just my own. I'm trying to read through the book in my own spiritual journey with Jesus. And that's just been such a helpful thing to say that that's what I do on Mondays. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't do meetings unless it's an evening meeting. During the day, it's about spiritual recharge mm-hmm. on Monday. And I do think it's hard sometimes to feel like, well, other people don't get to do that, so I shouldn't. And I heard someone else say, like, well, how can I take a Sabbath when so many other people don't get to take a Sabbath? And to say, but this is God's design for us. Mm -hmm. And so to say, we're not going to accept the grace of being able to live in the rhythms of God, but we're going to conform to the distorted rhythms Mm -hmm. of the culture in the name of solidarity Mm -hmm. with people like that. 
is just a twisted mm-hmm. expression of compassion. Yeah. And to be able yeah. to recognize yeah. this is a huge privilege yeah. given to me by the people I'm so privileged to serve. Yeah. And I Absolutely. guarantee you that the people I'm serving would would say, we want you yeah. to be praying. We yes. want you to be connecting to the vine. Because yeah. it helps us to be present. It helps us to be ministering out of Jesus yes. and not out of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, well, it's interesting that you say all this. I should steal that because um, what I'm thinking about, I met with my friend Carl Hart yesterday and we are planning for the next gathering. We um, are trying, we have quarterly gatherings at the Grove that we call The Way and those are for leaders in our congregation. And we um, invite really everyone in the congregation. Um, if you're a part of the I love ministry, that you guys do that. You're yeah. a leader, right? Yeah. And leader isn't about a hierarchy of privilege. Or it's position. A, correct. It's about understanding your sphere of influence and, and taking responsibility for how you live that out. So um, good. So, so we have one coming up on, on Tuesday, and I've got a lot of calls because part of it is just recognizing that I have to take responsibility for reaching out to people and saying like, hey, you're a leader in this congregation. You really are, and I really want to pour into you around these tables. But it's interesting because we were talking yesterday and praying and discerning what you know what is the content, what are we offering people. Um, and, and so we, our thing is talking about like the – the five W's of like remembering who and what and when and where and why mm-hmm. each one of us. And we kind of have a, a way that we're going through that with people. Um, but, but all of that to get to the how, mm-hmm. which connects to the way and the mm-hmm. how is exactly what you said, personal, spiritual disciplines yeah. and obedience yeah. and saying to leaders, whatever you are doing in ministry if it's not grounded in your imperfect obedience mm. to disciplines of prayer and meditation on scripture, like that's how you ground yourself in Jesus so that your ministry is in you but not of you. Yeah, and so good. breaking down with people some really simple spiritual disciplines, there's nothing new here, there's no secret. There's no like elevated Gnostic path to like Stephen Furtick style greatness. All there is is prayer and meditation on scripture and studying the scripture. Like, and all there is is people who either are humble enough mm-hmm. to to do that, yeah, or not, right? And are we ministering out of our ego, yeah, or out of our radical dependence upon God? And so, anyway, that's what we're doing as a congregation, and it. And as as leaders in our congregation, and it really connects That's to good. what you're what you're talking about. So I'm excited to do that, um, and I just think it's really important. Although um, our friend Brad Busick, who was part of the Charlotte Presbytery years ago, I mean this is like eight years ago, and and he was ahead in the work of transformation at the congregation he was serving at the time, and I was in a lectionary study group with him, and I remember him talking about doing a monthly or a six week leadership training with his people and I remember thinking I mean not saying but just thinking like that's stupid like why are you going to have a meeting with people like people just want to do what like just let them do what they have to do like don't waste their time with anyway so I think this is the second time I've referenced that in this podcast to say I think so Brad Music you were right I was wrong I'm getting on the train now Um, but I just think it's really important for us to break and say 
hey, let's come back together and remember how and why we do what we do and the way that we serve people. Um, Otherwise, bad things will happen. Um, And certainly, you know, God is so gracious that God blesses our plans and our towers of Babel, Mm. but we'd rather not build them, right? We'd rather just um, try to be obedient to what the Spirit is doing and be a part of what God is doing instead of asking God to be a part of what we're doing. Mm. So. Well, I love that place in Acts where I think the apostles um, are being tried, I think, by the Sanhedrin, and uh, they're observing that these were just ordinary Galileans, yeah. and uh, someone says something said something like, but they had been with Jesus, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That is what made the difference. That's why all of this extraordinary work was happening mm-hmm. through them. They had been with Jesus. And that's supposed to be the core of our community. Not that we're mm-hmm. good people or ethical people mm-hmm. or energetic people. We are a people who have been with Jesus and continue to dwell with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus fills us and changes us. And I don't believe in us. I believe in Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. I don't believe that the world needs my good ideas or my mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. I believe in all reverence and humility that the world needs Christ Mm. and so we have to ground continually ground ourselves in Christ we will never outgrow Christ and I think for me at one point Lisa Coons um, said to me I mean so many people in my congregation are more mature than I am and always will be but I mean what she said is like people are not gonna surpass you so like if you are, are are haphazard and undisciplined in your practice of your faith like, why do you expect people in your congregation mm-hmm. who you're shepherding and leading, like, you know, if you're asking people to do things that you don't do, like... Yes, well, that reminds me, there's a book by John Maxwell called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Of the 21, I only remember one, and that is the law of the lid. And that is leaders create the lid or the ceilings for their organizations. Yeah. And so... If you go only so high, that's as high as your organization will go. Yeah, yeah. So, well, what are you preaching about? Well, chapter one of Philippians has left the building, and we are now welcoming chapter two uh, this Sunday. And uh, I am amazed. Um, You know, I've read Philippians before, but as I preach through it, um, I'm seeing for the first time Paul's emphasis not only on joy, but the unity of believers. Yeah. And our text this week, uh, the, the first four or five verses of, of Philippians, has that emphasis once again. And, you know, uh, be of the same mind, the same affection, the same love. Um, uh, consider others better than yourselves. Mm-hmm. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. And so I was thinking about the text yesterday, and uh, the thing that came to mind was my, and I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but what came to mind was my second favorite scene in The Wizard of Oz, which is, <laughs> not my not my favorite, but the second favorite. Um, oh. it's, it's when, you know, the, the great Oz is thundering and booming, and then you see this wee little guy come out. Um, and what Paul seems to be doing is inviting us into the freedom of no longer pretending to be the great Oz, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the freedom of saying, hey, I'm small and I'm weak and I'm vulnerable and I need you, brother. I need you, sister. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to seek glory for myself mm-hmm. because it is a vapor. It's cotton candy. There's no value in it. I'm not uh, going to put a mask on because yes. I don't have to pretend not yes. to have problems. I don't have to pretend not to have a past. I don't yeah. have to pretend to be worthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, here's another reason why I value preaching through a whole book of the Bible because if I were just picking text randomly, I would never choose this text. I would go to what follows uh, what I'm going to preach this Sunday is that great place, uh, that Christological text about Jesus mm-hmm. um, emptying, emptying himself yeah. and becoming a servant. And um, But this, these, these four or five verses are really, really powerful and set up that whole right. image of Jesus humbling himself as the example of what we are to do. And so, yeah, that's what we're, we're looking at this Sunday. Well, that's good. Well, yeah. I am excited, and I also feel like this is a wonderful place to invite whoever is listening to help us figure out that we made a bet. Oh, that's right. And now it's unclear to me if I'm going to win because it's not like you said, I'm going to finish it by the end of August. September. I thought I said September. Did I say August? If I said August, then it's over. Okay. But I said you won't finish it until Advent. Advent. So, I mean, it's, it's uncertain what happens if you manage to finish it you know, say November 15th, right? If that's a Sunday. So anyway, all I'm saying is it's pretty clear I'm going to win this bet on some scale, but we we don't have any terms other than bragging rights, which is maybe enough. So um, anyway, I, I think that's Scary. wonderful. Um, I, I, you know, it is one of my pipe dreams that someday we might get a chance to do ministry together. And I wonder... How, how that would ever possibly work if we were sharing preaching oh, through a book wow. like Philippians. And I would wow. be like, I'm speeding. I'm doing 22 <laughs> verses this week. And you'd be like, no, you're not. You know, that might actually be helpful. <laughs> right. I'd be like, here's a deep dive on three verses. And next week, Pastor Kate preaches six chapters. And then, anyway. Um, this so Sunday, I love what you're preaching this Sunday. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, we're preaching through our mission statement. And... Um, we're actually, because I won't be in the pulpit next Sunday, and we have really incredible guest preachers coming in, um, my friends um, Emmanuel and Adrian Threet, who have a ministry with our homeless neighbors in Charlotte. So the second part of our mission statement is to serve, and so I'm going to let them preach about serving um, because they're just their embodied mm. theology of serving um, and, and not waiting for some human institution and being filled by the spirit. Anyway, it's amazing. So they're going to preach that. So I'm going to skip ahead and preach the third part of our mission statement, which is coming alive in Christ. And again, which I love. That's great. Yeah. I mean, uh, the story of, of creating our mission statement, discerning it um, with a group of 10 people over, I think it was like 15 weeks through this process was really beautiful. This process that I was really skeptical of, and I was working with a coach at the time who said, do this. And I was at a point where I was just being obedient um, and knowing that what I knew wasn't enough. So I was trying to be obedient to people who told me to do things that I thought were a waste of time. Um, and so anyway, this process of getting people together and praying and then this um, vision and mission that they we created of... Anyway, I love it. But... Um, so our mission statement is inviting all to serve and come alive in Christ. And 
um, serving is really the heart of our community at the Grove, and it is what makes our church visible, and it's what really initially connects a lot of people to us at very different stages mm. of the Christian journey, um, but really also understanding that our ultimate goal um, and purpose is is what I believe is the purpose of every body of Christ, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so coming alive in Christ is just different language for making disciples, being yes. a disciple. Yes. Um, and, and this idea that no matter where we are in our journey, however long we will have claimed to have followed Christ, I mean, this coming alive in Christ is always a process. And it's something that we don't do for God. It's something that God does in us, right? Yeah. So it's very much like, Nicodemus and like the wind blows where it blows and you I don't control that and it's this essential part of our mission that we can't pull off right so we're just by our own understanding completely vulnerable to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit Um, which is I just think is true although it's a truth we don't like to live in um, but our text for this is the um, Jesus healing the um, Gerizim demoniac and Jesus casting out these demons and this human, this person who who has become an object of fear and loathing to his community and he's chained and he's more powerful than the chains and and Jesus comes and um, clears, you know, delivers him from these evil spirits. Yeah, and so good. I mean, I have so much to say, and I don't even want to, but I have this really cool thing. You're tempted to preach your sermon right now. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But I'm just saying I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about preaching um, this from the idea that when we come alive in Christ, a a huge part of that process for all of us is being emptied out. Mm. Um, And there are some things that we, you know, some of us hate the language of um, the demonic. Some of us hate the language of, you know, other. but I mean, this idea that anything that is wounding us, that is causing us to wound others, anything that's distorting the image of God in us, anything that is a perversion of who God has created us to me, I mean, that's demonic, right? Mm-hmm. That's just a, mm-hmm. a disruption yes. of our relationship with God. And so we, totally. we all have we all have demons. Mm-hmm. And some of us um, have just accepted that. And, and mm. accepted it as a burden that we just have to bear. And you know, mm. some of our demons, we think we think they're good. Like we think that they're, they're burdens that Jesus has put on us. Or we live in the deception of saying, that's just how I am. Mm-hmm. That's just how I am. Or that's just how life is. Mm-hmm. Or this mm-hmm. is just... And so I, I think just that idea of like what starts is allowing God to empty us, recognizing our powerlessness as our spiritual leaders in AA would tell us that that coming alive in Christ is not about getting serious and doing more for Jesus and mm-hmm. you know uh, you know rising up the spiritual maturity ranks it's about allowing God to empty us yeah. of ourselves so and in that empty space then That's Jesus good. dwells yeah. there and we can't hold on to everything we have and make room for Jesus at the same time. So I want to talk about that, and I have a really cool story that I'm 80% sure will work. (laughs) I might be a little out over my skis uh, this week, but that's okay. So I'm excited about that. So 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. We are glad to be in your ears. Um, and uh, feel free to check out our churches. Um, Yolando is the pastor at Derrida Presbyterian Church, and you can find their website through a Google search. And um, I'm serving at the Grove Presbyterian Church, and our website is thegrovecharlotte.org. And you can find Yolanda's sermons, listen to them on the Podbean um, website. Just search Derrida Church, and you can check out the sermons at The Grove by searching iTunes for The Grove Charlotte podcast. Um, I think last week's is up. (laughs) But we hope that you can check them out, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.